once you figure out what you want to do, which is the hardest part, then just don't be afraid to, to reach out. So like I got my job at HPI. Um, I just cold called, uh, his name's Sam Houston, cold called the office partner. He appreciated it and, and reached back out. So, uh, even if you don't have a connection, like don't be afraid to, to reach out. Welcome to the Young Enterprises Podcast, the end-to-end mentorship platform for enterprising students to unlock their career. I'm your host, Jack Hildebrand. During this episode, we welcome Chris Price, the principal at Chris Price Realty Group. Chris Price Realty is a full-service residential brokerage and development company. They are experts in the market and specialize in providing clients the best service so that they can find their dream homes. Over the course of this interview, we talk about Mr. Price's collegiate years, get into what led him to real estate, talk about how he made the transition from commercial real estate to residential about a year ago, and then hear about some of his best business advice. It was a pleasure to have Chris on the show. If you like what we're doing here at Young Enterprises, don't forget to hit us with a follow on Instagram and LinkedIn. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But without further ado, let's get into it. So after reading a little bit about you, Mm -hmm. clearly tennis was a very big aspect of your early career. Can you share your experience playing professional tennis? your tennis academy, and then your transition to real estate? Yeah, yeah, sure. I saw that. Uh, is it Peyton? He plays tennis too? Yeah, Peyton Young. Is that one of your... Yeah, he does yeah, a lot of like, the yeah, descriptions cool. for us. Yeah. I remember those days. But yeah, I, I grew up um, playing competitively my whole life. So I basically was playing since I was... My first term was when I was seven. Um, so I traveled around the country and the state and Mexico, Canada, basically since like from like 11 years old on but was number one in the country in singles and number one in the country in doubles, every age division. So 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s, number one in the state wow. in singles and doubles. Um, got up to seven in the country in 16s and singles. That was my highest, but I was a better doubles player. So got a scholarship to Duke, played there for a year and a half, transferred for more playing time because looks like, like Peyton, I wanted to play pro at the time. So I played at TCU, played singles and doubles there for three years and then tried to play pro for about six months. And it's, it's a tough, tough sport, not too much money in it. And, you know, I quickly realized I was like, man, you know, unless you're winning tournaments constantly, like, like Andy Roddick, he won like 12 tournaments in a row when he turned pro it's a long haul. I mean, and you know, for me, it was going to be a long road. So I was a better doubles player. So, you know, I saw that I was going to have to stick it out for like 10 years and then, you know, who knows what I was going to do after teach tennis, I guess. And so I got out totally. pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, but it was, it was a great experience. After how many years did you decide to transfer? I transferred after a year and a half from Duke. So I was just playing doubles there. Um, and I transferred okay. for more playing time in tennis and I grew up in Texas. So it was an easy move for me. I think I might be the only transfer in tennis to ever leave Duke, but you know, it, it worked out for me. A lot of people then thought I was crazy, but I knew I was always going to come back here and I knew the coach at TCU had a bunch of buddies on the team. And so, you know, and TCU is a well-respected school in Texas. So it didn't, fortunately it didn't affect my future. It sounds like you knew what you wanted. 
other than tennis, like what was your college experience like? Yeah, it was, it was a blast. Um, I loved both schools. I mean, Duke is, I don't know if you've ever visited it, but it's like the most beautiful campus ever. Um, I've heard, yeah. Yeah. Really a lot of Northeastern people. So like most of the people there are New Yorkers and people from New Jersey, Connecticut, which is interesting. Um, I mean, super busy, you know, at Duke, at TCU, it was, you know, three hours of tennis, an hour, at least probably two hours of fitness a day and then school. And so, and obviously there's time to have fun and have a social life. And so it was super disciplined. And I think it really, you know, the great thing about being a student athlete keeps you out of trouble where you're not partying on like a Monday because you can't. It also like prepares you for the real world, right? Because, you know, it's a rude awakening with your, you know, if you're not mentally ready for working eight hours a day or 10 hours a day, college can be pretty chill. You know, you can go to class for like three hours and then do whatever. And mm -hmm. so I think it really, really prepared me for the real world. Would you say you ended up studying? Oh, I studied. Um, so I was in sociology at Duke. So I think that's the only thing I would have passed. <laughs> I was in economics for like a day and it would not have been good. But um, I ended up doing that's finance. Tough. Yeah. I ended up doing finance with real estate. Um, so okay. finance degree with a real but concentration real estate. So it had some extra real estate classes. Cool. Yeah. I took an econ class it was last quarter and I really liked it. And I thought I did well on the test and I get it back. I'm like, what a 70, like <laughs> not great. It's like, tough. I worked really yeah, hard. It gets real heady. You know, it's, you think you know what you're doing and then you get it back and you're like, what? Yeah. So, it's real theoretical. It can get real confusing. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any tips for staying focused through the distractions of college? What kept you driven and motivated? Yeah. Say? Yeah. For me, for me, sports definitely helped a lot because it gave me structure. So like I knew, like, like I was saying, I can't, couldn't go out on a Monday night till two because I had to wake up at 7am for fitness. So that helped a lot. You know, we also had dual matches and all those things. Um, that was really probably the thing that kept me the most structured. I'm sure if I didn't have sports, it, I would have, it would have been totally different. But yeah, what I would tell people, you know, especially college kids to stay focused is, you know, get involved in some activities that you're passionate about. You know, a lot of people aren't into sports and that's fine, but like get into a club or something that you're really passionate about or a cause. So if not, you're just gonna have too much time on your hands and having too much time on your hands is never good. So really try to like plug yourself into some groups and clubs that you like, you know, obviously study, don't pull all nighters if you can and prep but you know having having a full schedule will will always help like the my friends and you know people i knew that i kind of saw like kind of go off the deep end or struggled in colleges they just had too much time you know so they're you know frat party at tuesday at two then sorority party you know tonight and then another party and then we're going on the water party you know and it's like all of a sudden you it's all party. drank every single day yeah you know and then you, yeah you, you fail out of school so um, I'd say definitely keep yourself busy and try, try to try to limit the the maybe at least start the partying on Thursday. <laughs> don't, don't go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, that's usually <laughs> how it is. You were never in Greek life. I wasn't. You know, they don't. You, I, I was on scholarship. They don't really let you. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, you okay. can't even. You don't even really have that option. Um, I know at so, TCU now it's like pretty big there. So. 
Yeah, yeah. Duke, Duke it was too, believe it or not. I mean, I lived with a bunch of guys that were in fraternities, so I kind of got to benefit, but I didn't have to go through like the hazing or any of that stuff, fortunately. What drew you to this industry in particular, given your sports background? Yeah. So um, my dad's um, a real estate developer. He was a, he was a real estate broker for about 20 years and then was an apartment developer. I should probably say redeveloper. He bought, would buy foreclosed properties and rehab them um, and stabilize them. So I grew up around it my whole life. So um, I knew I always wanted to get into that. If tennis didn't work out, it was really tennis or real estate. I studied finance with real estate at TCU. When I was a little kid, my dad would drive around and he knew like savantish, like knew all the owners of all the apartment complexes in Houston. He'd be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Smith owns this apartment and something Ral owns this apartment. I remember like being a six year old sitting in the back of the car, not even knowing what was happening, but it, it was ingrained in me. So um, it's a great fit. Yeah. And to add to what you were saying for athletes, it's a, it's a super great fit. Cause it's like the, the closing of a deal is like as close to a, the high of winning a, a tennis match or a sport, you know, any, any type of sport win. So. So you were once a leasing agent at Jim Lake companies, which for our listeners, if you do not know, it's an adaptive urban real estate redevelopment, leasing and management company in Dallas, Texas. What made you choose residential over switching to another commercial real estate firm? Yeah. So, um, yeah, Jim Lake was, they were great to me. They, that was my first job out of school. Like right when I quit tennis, super small company. Um, they're really well known for redeveloping the Bishop arts district in Dallas. So they're pretty, pretty cool company, family company. And they basically just like handed me a million square feet of property and were like, Hey, go lease it. So I had no idea what I was doing. I messed up. I, went, I remember one time I made a guy sign at least three times. I think he wanted to kill me. And so had no, <laughs> just learning by error. So made a ton of mistakes, but it made me really good. I was doing about a hundred transactions a year there. So got a ton of deal experience. Then I went to HPI in Austin. They're one of the biggest commercial companies here and everything was actually going great. Didn't plan on going anywhere. I was there for five years and then the pandemic hit. And I always grew, you know, my dad's an apartment developer, grew up around residential my whole life. And we had done flips and things like that together too, and invested in his deals. And honestly, it was more out of necessity than anything. Um, I'm, I really like all types of real estate, but I was in office leasing. But when the pandemic hit, no one was leasing office. No one was even in their office. So I was like, man, I can't wait around and not make any money for a year, or a year and a half, or who knows how long till this comes back. And, you know, as of now, I mean, I, I, I live right next to the Facebook building. There's no one in there. And so yes. I made the pivot and it worked out great. I just know a lot of people in Austin and I'm a very social person and the, the market's just on fire. So it was, it really, to be honest, was out of necessity, but I'm really glad I did it. You saw the market. You're like, there's so many people coming here. Like, why not just switch over? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I was, I was going into my office and I had nothing to do for like six months. And, and I'm a real doer. So it was like, to be honest, I was going a little crazy. It's like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? Just sit here all day. And you know, you're, you're hundred percent commission majority of the time in, in brokerage. So it's like, I'm just sitting here doing nothing and making no money. I knew I had to do something and it was the most natural pivot. You know, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about residential too and grew up around it. So it just, it just made a lot of sense. And fortunately it worked mm -hmm. out. How'd you assess the risk of starting your own real estate company versus joining someone else's? 
Yeah. So I've basically, I've been in the business almost 10 years now. So I've been doing it for quite a while. So, you know, it's, if I was 24 and had to make that decision, I probably wouldn't have done it, but it started out. I was just like, you know what? I have nothing to do. You know, there's nothing going on at the office because all my tenants aren't even in their offices. And so I got my broker's license, like might as well be useful with my time. So this was October of last year or when I got it, it was like June of last year. So I got it and then just realized that the pandemic was, it was dragging out a lot longer. That was like the beginning of it. There was nothing going on. And then it just kept going and going. And then kind of just talked to the, the guys and was like, Hey, I need to do something different. And there was really nothing else to do there. So I just decided to launch it. It was scary, but it worked out great. I've got about 10 people on the team now. A lot of them are like, you know, like an, I have an admin, a COO, someone in charge of my Pinterest SEO. We're bringing on, we've got a couple agents, bring on a couple more, but hmm. fortunately it just worked out. But yeah, it sounds like you're doing great. Thanks. You currently have $50 million to date by your transactions. Clearly you have found success in your profession and are continuing to do so. What can you attribute that to? Just hard work and... Yeah, yeah. I mean, several things. I grew up around two parents. My mom was very successful. She's from Bolivia. She moved here with like $5,000, basically nothing, and and made it and was, you know, had ended up saving like, I think when she met my dad, she had saved up like like six figures. So like real success story, like coming from nothing, a really hard worker, did really well in school, got a scholarship in Bolivia and all that, got a scholarship here. And my dad is a really, really successful uh, apartment developer. And so just growing up around them, you know, seeing their drive and biggest thing I probably learned from my dad was the value of working for yourself. Because uh, later on in his career, he'd be like t- chilling at the pool, tanning his abs. And I'd be like, what's this, what's this guy doing? It's like 11 <laughs> o'clock on a Tuesday, you know? And he's like, 45 like first you know probably shouldn't be tanning his abs anyway it's hilarious but it was like I want that life if I can do that I mean uh you know and so I grew up around that and the corporate world was great but it was like it was comfortable but the pandemic honestly kind of made me get out of my comfort zone and made me do something I always wanted to do which was start my own business Austin has been at the hub of a real estate explosion since many big companies are moving there and employees are not required in the office. Do you see the housing market continuing this exponential growth or do you think there will be a plateau in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. I get that all the time from clients. You know, Austin, there's about 100, 140 net people moving here a day and that's not including births. If you include like newborns, you're at like 180 people. That's almost like 35, 40,000 people a year increasing in population. You have so many people, you know, leaving California and places like New York and Texas is benefiting so so much from that. Unfortunately, I don't think, you know, for those states, I don't think that's going to change just because of, you know, some of the unfortunate political things going on there. But because of those reasons, I just I don't see it slowing down. I think when you look at housing prices in Austin compared to San Francisco, it's still so much cheaper. So all these people moving from San Fran and Palo Alto and all these places still think Austin's a bargain. People here in Texas think it's expensive, understandably. But um, I think until 
we get close to Cali prices, um, I think we're going to have a, a run. So probably, unfortunately for a lot of local people, I think prices are going to keep going up for the next three to five years and inventory is at an all-time low and I think it'll continue that way. How long have you been in Austin for? I've been here for five years, have come, I lived here for a year in high school um, when I was playing tennis, but my uncle, two of my uncles live here. So I was, I was here all the time, but actually living here five years. Mr. Price, can you share what your day-to-day -day role looks like at your company? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, brokerage, it's a lot of just getting in front of people. So if, if you're a really social person and you're a hustler, you can be really good at it. Cause really, you know, what all you're doing, a lot of it is emotional intelligence. You're, you're gaining people's trust, right? Cause buying a home, one of the biggest decisions people ever make, sometimes the biggest. And so they really need someone that they can trust and the confidant that, you know, knows the market that's going to advise them well, that has their best interests in mind and isn't just trying to get a commission. I mean, you'd be amazed at how many brokers and agents out there, they're just all about the commission. And, you know, sometimes it can, it can work and you can make a ton of money and just sling out deals and, and push your clients. Me personally, that's just, I don't, I don't like that philosophy. I want to, uh, I want to help my clients make the best decision for them. And I think you can still have a lot of success. And I think you sleep better at night knowing that you did the right thing for people. So, I mean, a lot of it is, is, is having that market knowledge. So, you know, driving the market, knowing all the neighborhoods in Austin. Um, and then, you know, you, you meet people, whether it's kind of the same thing you get in groups. Like for me, I'm big into tennis. So I'm at Westwood Country Club a lot, um, meeting people and networking with them and talking to them about the market and, and deals just come about. And so being out as you're having is fun. a big part of it. Yeah, as exactly. You're having fun exactly. Tennis. Yeah, exactly. So it, feel, it doesn't feel like work to me. And so then, you know, once you get someone interested, then you're out driving a neighborhood with them. You know, they're saying, I want to buy a house in Terrytown. You send them a survey and then you go drive the market and, you know, start touring houses with them. And um, then you get kind of into the offer process and, and getting under contract. And so it's pretty fun. It's kind of, I like to call it like, us being a street broker a little bit because you're you're out and about and driving around and hustling and you know trying to work the the agents that have the listings and trying to convince them you know that to trust you and that you have a legitimate buyer so it's it's fun it's like a, it's a bit of a game how would you say your company is like able to like differentiate yourself from the other real estate companies this might be a tough yeah. question but yeah yeah no what um good question what i would say it's kind of going back to the same thing like I'm very selective on who's part of the team and, and really want to make sure that we have the same kind of values and philosophy, but kind of our philosophy is to put the client's needs first. So, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can get a deal done, but are you, are you giving your clients the best advice? You know, you could maybe just tell them, yeah, I just buy this house. It's great. But, you know, they have two kids and they have their, say one of the, uh, it's a husband, wife, and two kids, and then the one of their parents is going to live with them, and they really want a master bedroom on the first on the first floor for the grandmother. You know, are you going to find that for them, or are you just going to be like, oh, that's going to be too tough, inventory's too low, it can't happen? Well, it's definitely doable. So, having those things in mind, staying within their budget, you know, being willing to pass on houses, say, hey, like, I don't think this is the right house for you, and and waiting for the right one, I think 
doing those things goes a long way. And I think that's how we differentiate ourselves because we put the client first. So you've had a past in real estate. You said your dad did that for a living. What would you say is like your best advice in terms of just like in the business world, like getting your foot in the door? In any industry, just in general? Yeah, just in general, whether it was in residential, commercial, yeah. or any other jobs that you've had. I, definitely like really network well at school would be a start because a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, you know, their parents might be really successful people or they may, their parents may know someone that can refer you deal or they may know someone. So that's part of it. So stay in touch with all of the people um, at school. Um, another thing I would say is, you know, once you figure out what you want to do, which is the hardest part, then just don't be afraid to, to reach out. So like I got my job at HPI. Um, I just cold called, uh, his name's Sam Houston. Uh, I just cold called the office partner. He appreciated it and, and reached back out. So, uh, even if you don't have a connection, like don't be afraid to, to reach out to whoever it is. It may, they may not answer, don't get discouraged, but, um, a lot of people really value that, uh, cause I think there's a bit of that like millennial Gen Z where a lot of the old school people think like they're, you know, Oh, millennials and Gen Z's are all lazy. So, so not saying that's true, but just so by cold calling and reaching out and showing that like extra effort, it goes a long way, especially with like the, the older generation. Definitely. I'm trying to get Adam Schefter on the podcast. I don't know if you know what rocket reach is, but it's just like a, a platform where you can look up like any CEO's email. So yeah. I found his email. I reached out to him. His assistant reached back out to me, talked to him for a little. Then he didn't respond. I reached out to him again, had a long conversation, stopped talking to him. So maybe in a couple weeks, I'll reach out to him again. But wow. You had a long conversation with Adam Schefter? His assistant. That's awesome. I'm just kind of like circling around him. So hopefully That's in great. like, a week and a half, I'll reach out to him again and maybe he'll cave a little. That's super cool. Yeah, you're being persistent. Set up an appointment. That's all you can yeah. do, right? That's that's amazing. I hope you get him in. That'd be awesome. What would you say has been your biggest like learning experience thus far in your career? And what would you have done differently or the same? Okay. I would say biggest learning experience is to be flexible. I think earlier on in my career, I thought that I knew my path and, you know, being, being in residential real estate was never the plan. Like when I was at HPI, I was like, okay, I'm in office leasing. I'm going to be here for seven years or whatever, get on the partner track, become a partner, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, little did I know a pandemic was going to hit, you know, and totally change everything. And so I think my advice would be like, kind of like hold your plans lightly and always be ready to adapt and be ready for whatever comes because you just really never know. The world is so dynamic and technology is so fast paced. I think the more nimble you are and the more flexible, the better. I think I was just too rigid. I was so used to structure, you know, my whole life was structured as like tennis, you know, school, my whole life. All I had to do is like tennis school, blah, blah, blah. I had my whole schedule set for the day. And then when that kind of schedule went away, it was very challenging. And then I had to kind of create my own schedule. But yeah, I would tell people be be flexible. That's huge. And I think that's a trait that most really successful people have.
Chris Price Realty Group, you've been around for a little over a year now, right? So yeah, about a year, about a year. Yep. How have you been able to like establish a culture? I know that's like really hard. Yeah. For yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're still pretty new. Um, you know, I've got a COO and we've got a good team, but a lot of them are remote workers. So now that we're bringing on more agents, we'll have, we're about to bring on like two more. So I'll we'll be about four agents that'll come into play more. You know, part of it is, is finding the right people. You know, I, I, I really like people that are kind of self-motivated and, and driven and go-getters that I don't have to babysit. So that's kind of part of it is hiring, right? The way we're creating a culture though is we have, uh, we have an office at Firm Space. It's a super awesome co-working uh, community, but it's more, um, I call it like more private than we work. There's a bunch of like enclosed private glass offices, um, but a ton of meeting rooms and conference rooms and call rooms. And so basically what we're providing to the agents is like they'll get a, they get an actual uh, office. So they'll get like a private office. They may share it with another agent. They get access to all the amenities. It's a full floor. You get breakfast tacos on Mondays, Jimmy John's on Fridays, unlimited coffee, cold brew. They even have beer on tap. Um, so they kind of like, yeah, all the amenities and all the perks. Plus they get to use all like the, the conference rooms and, and phone rooms. So that's one way we're kind of creating a culture where it's, they want to actually come to the office sometimes and we can hang out, but I'm a big fan and believer of remote work. So really, really same thing, going back to the flexibility, I'm not going to make any of them come to the office. I mean, in reality, I, I legally can't cause they're independent contractors, but really just kind of embracing like, Hey, like there's this sick office you can come hang out at if you want to, if not cool, you know, just, you know, as long as you work hard, I'm going to leave you alone, but yeah. I'm here to help. And I'm here for you for any questions you need. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's always fun to hear about the executives' careers and how they ended up where they are today. So I'm really glad we could have you on. Cool, man. Thanks. Enjoyed it. You're a good po- podcaster, man. You, you're. Uh, I can tell I, you've been. I try my best. For a while. Yeah. You're good. You been... got a good. You got a good podcast voice. Copyright music was used during this podcast.